Nick and his family are visiting with family this week, so we get the honor and privilege of Mr. Tolu blessing us with the word. And if I can, can I pray for you? Okay. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I am always amazed by your mercy in each of our lives, but most especially uh, for the way that you have opened up the scriptures to Tolu and that you speak clearly through him. And I ask that you do that again today, that not only would we be encouraged, would we be uh, just brought to more of your glory of who you are, but also that you would encourage him, that Tolu would feel your strength, would feel your love, and ultimately, you'd be lifted up in what we do here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Can you guys hear me? All right. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, no. No bishop. <laughs> For those of you that are new, I am Tolu. I generally tend to say I'm the pastor, but no, I am not. <laughs> I am just a regular member here at church. And thank you for that joke. It helps to calm me down. (laughs) Um, So today we'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 40, from verse 25 to 31. If you want a Bible, you have the ushers coming down the aisle. Please raise up your hands and they'll get one to you. Isaiah chapter 40, from verse 25 to 31. But before we go there, um, I usually forget to talk about the title. The title of the sermon is God, the Incomparable One. And I want to give a little background before we jump into the text. Right. So Isaiah 40 from verse 25 to 31. So at this point in history, Israel is in exile. Right. And I know very often when we hear that and because we know how the story ends, we tend to not sort of put ourselves in that story. But today I want you to do that. I want you to actually think about what exile means for them. right? And so on one hand, exile probably means separation from loved ones. right? Probably means maybe the loss of loved ones. Maybe some people have actually been killed in the whole process. right? It means being a slave in another country. right? It means being assaulted, maybe molested, uh, maybe treated. Uh, as a second-class citizen, right, where your dignity is always lowered, right, attacked. Right? So th- that's what exile would mean for them. And I want you to think of the despair, the helplessness, and the hopelessness that comes with that. And the reason I'm saying all of this is I know life can be hard, right? For everybody that is here, there is probably certain things you are struggling with, Things you are longing for, right? Let me just draw up some categories. It could be financial issues, right? Runo just talked about looking for a job for a while, and that begins to affect you, right? There is a certain despair that comes with that. It could be issues within a marriage, maybe raising up kids, maybe having kids, right? It could be job pressures, right? Sometimes it could very well be existential questions where you're asking yourself, why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Sometimes it's the heartbreak upon the heartbreak and the disappointment and the despair. And really, today as we go into this passage, I want you to hold on one hand, whatever it is you're struggling with. Right? And again, it could be our own brokenness, right? our own sin, the shame of past mistakes, the guilt we carry, the fact that we think we are not enough, sometimes the fact that you think 
you are a failure. Right? So I want you to, on one hand, hold that as we talk about the message today, as we study the scripture together. And on the other hand, I want you to pay attention to what God might say to you through this passage. So that you're holding both before God and God is touching your heart even as we go ahead. Right, so that's assignment one. I'll have another assignment for you <laughs> later on. Um, but, but that's what I want you to be holding on to. And I want you to, as we go through the passage, as we study together, I want you to be listening for the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the comfort of God towards you, and what God would have you do. So Isaiah 40, from verse 25 to 31. Let me attempt to recite it. And then <laughs> we'll follow along in your scripture, in your Bibles. If I miss something, just fill it in in your head. Um, but Isaiah 40 from verse 25 to 31. And this is God speaking. To whom will you compare me that I should be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created this. See, it is he who brings out the host by their number. Right? And call each one of them by name. It is because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power that not one of them is missing. Why then do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause or my right has been disregarded by my God. Verse 28. Have you not heard? Have you not known? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow weary or tired, and his understanding is limitless, unsearchable. You see, he gives power to the faint, and to, whom no, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. See, even youth will be weary. And they will faint, right? And young men will fall exhausted. But they will wait on the Lord. They will hope in the Lord. They will trust in the Lord. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and shall not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. Let me quickly pray. Father, we thank you always for the opportunity to be before you here. Uh, thank you for it is always a privilege to have you teach us and have you open our eyes to understand the scripture. And this is what we're praying for, that we would have that mysterious union of your words, God, your words and your spirit together, impacting our hearts, impacting our lives. My prayer is that today we will truly have a, a, a sit down with you. A, a meet up with you, God, that we will truly hear from you and that you will speak to our every needs and speak into our hearts. And that when we leave here today, we will truly be encouraged. We will truly be drawn closer to you, God, that we will truly be able to walk lighter with those burdens transferred to you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah 40, 25 to 31, let me give you a brief history, right? So in chapter 38, 39, Hezekiah is about to die. He prays, God adds 15 years to his life, 
roll into chapter 39. Some envoys come to see him and he's basically showing off his wealth and his riches and all of that. Right. And after all of that, Isaiah comes back to him and basically pronounces a judgment on him. Right. And he speaks of a future disaster that is coming. And that disaster is exile. And in chapter 40 to 66, those passages are basically passages that were written while they were in exile. Right. That's where we are. Uh, right from verse 1 to verse 11, God is basically speaking comfort to his people. Now, again, remember they're in exile. There is this despair, this hopelessness, speaking comfort to them. In verse 9, it's almost like God wants to show who he is. And then there is this declaration, here is your God. From verse 12 to about verse 24, God is basically talking about himself, almost reassuring them that based on his past faithfulness, he will be faithful currently, and he will always be faithful to them. Right? And so we get to verse 25. And so one of the questions you might ask is, where is God? In the midst of exile, of pain and suffering, where is God? And same thing for where you might be today, right? That question is very legitimate. It is very okay, right? It's a question we should ask. And in the midst of pain and uncertainty, Satan, the enemy, uses that as, a, as an opportunity to come to attack our faith. And what I'm trying to say is before Satan can really get a hold of us, he gets us to start questioning God. And very often he tries to divert us to start fashioning idols after the desires and the longings of our heart. And you know that in the midst of pain and suffering and affliction, there is definitely that longing to get out of it. And Satan comes in that way to start to question who we are. And not just question who God is, but he makes us question who God says we are. And so one of the subtitles I have there, I have four of them. But the first one is talking about true deity. And you see God basically asking that question in verse 25. To whom will you compare me that I should be like him? So when God asks that question, the comparison isn't necessarily to a person. The comparison is to what are the things you are using as a substitute to me? So when God says, to whom will you compare me that I should be like him? He's asking the question, what are the idols of your heart that you are longing for, even in the midst of pain and even in the midst of suffering? If you are like me, I generally tend to think I have no idols. I'm like, nah, God. No idols. <laughs> but um, if you're also like me, th- there are times where I-, I see that if I don't have a strong thought in my mind, my mind usually goes back to certain things. Right? And those are usually the things I daydream about, sometimes obsessively. Right? And that might be an indication of my idol. I see there are times I try to like, just sit before God and just pray. And very often, there are a million things running through my mind, and I just cannot sit still. That might be something. There are times where Josh, who's right there, my brother from another mother, <laughs> he says things like, oh, Tolu, maybe you have the gift of Apostle Paul. Maybe you won't be married. I'm like, Josh, don't say that. <laughs> I'm like, don't let me and you fight, Josh. But I have to think, though, that what is it that I think I cannot live without? What are those things that I think I cannot live without? And those might be pointers. And the reason I'm saying that is I, I want you to be thinking, what are those idols of my heart? What are the things I long for? They might be good things. They might be morally great things. But what are those things that they become 
in essence, a substitute for God that if I have this, I am good. Right. Again, God asks that question, to whom would you compare me? Verse 26, God responds by saying, lift up your eyes on I and see who created this. Now, the idea is for Israel right now, where they are, there is a temptation to worship heavenly borders, like astral projections, right? Uh, the stars, the moons, you see a cross-reference to that, like Deuteronomy 419, and some of the nations across them, right? But God is responding to that by saying, who created this? Right? So that is like a challenge to us again, where God is saying, no matter what your idols are, who is on top of the world, right? And so he's going to use the argument of the greater, meaning if I created the stars, how impressive they are. And we know more about stars today than they do. And how impressive they are. And God is saying, if I created every single one of them, and all of them are at the tip of my finger, can I really not address your concerns? Right? So he's using an argument of if I can deal with the greater, I most definitely can deal with the lesser. Right? So I like how one theologian puts this. He says, innumerable though stars may be to us, there is neither one more or less than God determines. God's directive management is not only one of totality, meaning all the stars, right? But one of individuality as well, meaning he calls each one of them by name. Right, so what does this mean for our struggles, right, and our pain? The point I want to draw under this first heading is that true deity can only be found in God. God, the incomparable one. True deity can only be found in him. And every other idol we fashion in our hearts, every other those idols that we nurture, they can never truly satisfy. They are just there for a while. Quite frankly, we will see later on that they place more of a burden on you actually rather than helping you. Right, so... Because we see this transcendence of God, and if you want, you could read from verse 12 all the way to 25, and you will see God really talking about his transcendence. Now, a lot of times when we look at the transcendence of God, we tend to think God is too big. Why would he care about what I'm going through? Like he is simply too much. There is a million and one things going on in the world. God doesn't care as much. Or, you know, whatever I'm dealing with, they're too small. Right? That's the wrong inference we draw. The right deduction is that God is simply too big to fail. He is simply too powerful to not deal with that issue you're facing. And while he might not deal with it the way you want, he is simply too... I don't even know the word to use. Just too big. (laughs) I can't really capture the right word. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. To fail to address your concerns, your fears, your worries, and the uncertainties of your heart. (sighs) Point two. Has God forgotten? In verse 27, we see... The statement that if you're like me, very often I tend to order in my pain and say, God, what's happening? Where are you? Why is my way hidden from you? Are you no longer my father? 
Am I no longer your child? What's going on? Basically, God, how could this happen to me? While you are here, like what's going on? I don't get this, God. Right. And for me, at least, the hardest part of facing pain or struggle is that I actually cannot make it go away. The helplessness in facing those afflictions is usually the hardest part for me. I just can't snap my fingers and they're gone. And with that sense of helplessness comes also the sense of hopelessness. Because largely I am depending on myself to get it done. And and, and so in the midst of affliction, there is this sense of hopelessness that comes with it. Because I am bending inwards and I'm relying on myself to get myself out of whatever it is I'm facing. And so verse 7 captures that despondency that we might feel. Right, where we basically say, what, basically we say, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause or my right has been disregarded by my God. Actually, in the original text, the tense there is continuous. And so there is this sense that my cause is being disregarded by God. It is a continuous thing, meaning I am facing one issue after the other. And doesn't life seem like that sometimes? It is just this one long, continuous battle to keep your head above water, right? It's just like, I just want to catch a break. And very often when I catch a break, I'm like, all right, where's the next thing coming? Because I know something is coming. Like, where is it coming from? I don't want to be blindsided, right? And so this is the question we ask. Again, a legitimate question Where is God in the midst of my issues and in the midst of my pain? Now, that question is both theological and experiential. It is theological because essentially I am saying, God, you cannot see my problems. It is experiential because it comes from, usually statements like this comes from personal pain, personal um, experiences. I, I want to make a side note here. Sometimes we tend to separate theology and how we live our lives, right? Almost as if they are two separate things. The truth, though, is all of us have some form of theology, some form of how we see this world, some form of, I guess, what the Germans called Weltanschung, a way or a perspective of making sense of the world. We all do, and it's not separate. And a lot of times, your actions actually show your belief or the things you believe, or the lack thereof. Right? So a lot of times you want to see what you believe, look at your actions, your consistent actions over time, and then walk backwards to your belief. This is why Proverbs 4.23 would say that you should guard your heart diligently. It's saying guard your heart diligently because out of it flows for the issues of life, meaning behavior, how you live, how you act, follows your beliefs. Right? So... Side note, what I'm trying to say is that in asking that question or the way to deal with that question, the framework is to go back to God. And once we set our beliefs right, it's not that the problems go away. It's that we might have a better way of handling disappointment or pain 
on the struggles we are going through. And again, that's what I want you. That's why I told you at the beginning, I want you to hold in one hand some of the things you're struggling with. And then in the other hand, to be listening to what God might be saying to you. And so again, the question today is, what ails your heart? Right? What, what is that pain within your heart that, that makes you say either verbally or in your heart that God, where are you? What is going on? Why is my way hidden from you? Why has my cause been disregarded by you? And very often, the solution <laughs> to our problems is that God points to himself. Don't you like that? You ask God a question and he basically points to himself. <laughs> um, and in verse 28, God points to himself and in essence really he doesn't answer the question directly, which is sometimes something you see in scripture. You might think of Job, and Job asked all these questions of God, you know, and defended himself and, you know, clapped back at his, uh, his friends. And when God will come, I think in Job 38, God never actually answers any of his questions. God just basically shows the sufficiency of himself. And this is what God is doing here. God is pointing us back to the sufficiency of all things, which is God. Right? In essence, God is saying, I am not only all powerful, I am ever faithful. You see, I am the one who loves you with an everlasting love. And because of that, I will continue my faithfulness to you, even when you are faithful. Right? And God is basically again saying, we will see this later on, that I am the one who truly satisfies and redeems you a million times over. Something your idols could never do. Right? So again, verse 28, God responds by saying, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Literally, that phrase means a God of eternity. The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. And then he adds this part to it. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. There are two phrases there that actually earlier in the chapter God uses again. The phrase, have you not known? Have you not heard? And sometimes that might make you question, but how, how does Israel, how should they know? Where should they have heard? And we might be questioning ourselves or asking that question too as well today. And so the answer obviously goes back to the Bible, right? Throughout Isaiah 40, actually, see, Isaiah has been using the doctrine of God the creator to basically help Israel in exile understand, to assure them of their security and the certainty that God will fulfill his promises. See, God's past faithfulness shown in the history of his people, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph. Joseph is an interesting character. Daniel, all of them, right? God's faithfulness shown through them is proof that he will be faithful in the current situation and also forevermore, right? And for us as well, that is what helps us, right? Like as we go back into the word of God and we begin to trace the faithfulness of God, it begins to remind us that God is not blind. He is sovereign. 
things do not surprise him. And of course, he loves you eternally. And that as a foundation helps. It doesn't take away the problem. It doesn't necessarily take away the pain, but it helps. It helps you at least put one foot right in front of the other. Two quick deductions here. First of all, the hero in every scripture, every story in the Bible is always God. Right? Sometimes we, we, we might hear Abraham so much or Moses so much that we begin to look at them as, as some great spiritual figure. The hero is always God. There's a reason I'm saying that, which is my second point. All of scripture is about God, is about Christ. So when you read scripture, you either read forwards to Christ or you read backwards, pointing back to him. Right. So wherever you are, is that linchpin to all of scripture. Those are side points. I am saying that because that would help us in understanding scripture more, which helps us wherever we are today. So going back to the text, the term everlasting God literally means a God of eternity. And he shows you the perspective of God. Right. So. If you wish, if you see time as this one directional flow, which is how we exist in time, right? I can go back five minutes to when, well, not five minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes to when Ian was up here, right? I can't go back to that, right? But God is actually out of time, right? So in a sense, his perspective is not that one directional flow. It is both past, present, and future all at once. That's kind of hard to understand, and I get it, right? But all at once, that that is God. That is how he sees. That is how he processes. This is a God that doesn't change. That is why I said his past faithfulness, because he doesn't change. His past faithfulness ensures his current and future faithfulness, right? And as creator, which is, again, a theme that we've seen in this passage, his powers are limitless, Completely so, right? And as one who is never weary, one who is never tired, one whose understanding is unfathomable, what that means is that it is impossible for God to not accomplish his purposes. He doesn't get to a point and say, you know what, I'm done with you. Right? It just doesn't happen. Right? So one of the authors I love reading puts it this way. He says, in one moment, God is orchestrating all of human history with its multiple billions of complex individuals, past, present and future, of which each one of us is just one. And the multiple trillions of interweaving causes and effects of which our individual experiences are just a relative handful. That is God. That is what he is handling. Right? And he's doing all of this to one end, to one purpose. So that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Said another way, he is doing all of this to transform you into the image of his son. That is how much he loves you. So this is all what God is spinning Probably with one hand, maybe one finger. Right? That, that is the vastness of God. And if you're like me, you wonder why you don't understand God. Or understand what he's doing. Like, God, I'm here. 
What's up? <laughs> so I, I hope you are getting a glimpse of this incomparable one we call God. I hope you are getting a glimpse of this eternal, limitless, and untiring God. Right? This is the God we are dealing with. Right? And that is why my third point there talks about the eternal, limitless, untiring God. His perspective is just completely beyond us. Right? But you know that all of that, though, is working out for your good. When I say your good, I mean your transformation into Christ-likeness. And sometimes we hear that phrase a lot, but I want you to think of what that means. Like how much God loves you, that he wants you to be like his son. The same son who is the express brilliance of the almighty, the radiance of his glory. That is who God wants you to be. Right. That is what he's fashioning you towards. So even in the pain and the affliction, this is why Paul was saying in Romans that our afflictions, or maybe it's in Corinthians, they are securing for us an eternal weight of glory. Your transformation into Christ-likeness. And so our God is a God that we never need doubt his capacity is also such that possessing unfathomable wisdom, we must never expect to understand all his ways. And we're not built for that. And because he, he walks on this everlasting, again, outside of time, everlasting, right, worldwide, ceaseless pace, right, that is the, his jurisdiction, as you say, that, that is his view. Right, because he walks at such a level, we cannot understand him. We, we we can't box him into this things have to work this way, it has to go this way. So hopefully you are seeing that the uncertainties that you face, the fact that you don't know what will happen or how things will happen, I hope you are beginning to see that they are actually mercies in disguise. They are there to help you depend more and more on God, to trust more and more in him, to let go of how you might want to do things and to just trust and rest in him. So, so far, just to wrap up, to summarize, I'm not done, (laughs) just to summarize. Um, In the midst of affliction, Satan can often come to tempt us to fashion idols. After the desires of our heart, right? Satan is always there to kill, well, to steal, to kill, to destroy, right? So you see, Satan really is never really after your marriage or your job or whatever. He's not. What he's after is your relationship to, with God, right? Your marriage, your job, all of those things are just tools he goes after to destroy that relationship with God, right? His aim is always your relationship with God. So we've established that and God speaks to that and basically says, I am the incomparable one. I am the one who has created everything. And if I have created everything, I can deal with whatever it is you're struggling with. Trust in me. Right. And then we talked about how very often we have this question, has God forgotten me? Where are you, God, in the midst of this? And again, God points us back to himself as the sufficiency of all things. Meaning I can take care of you. I can handle things and I will make everything right. Excuse me. And when he says, I will make everything right, sometimes in the midst of my struggles, I, I go to Revelations. 
I go to the end of it all. Like Revelation 21. <laughs> I read 21 and 22. Like, you know what? At some point, we're going to get there. <laughs> so whatever I am going through, it will end well. <laughs> but in all seriousness, though, God points back to himself. That I am the sufficiency of all things. And I will make everything right. And so the question you might ask, though, is, okay, so... How do I key into this? How do I how do I become the type of person that I continually, or at least over time, I am more rested in God as I face these challenges? Right. So you might ask that question, and verse twenty nine to thirty one gives us a framework, and I want to pull some quick things out of that, and we'll wrap up. So verse twenty nine to thirty, he says. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Right? And then verse 30 talks about uh, youth shall grow weary and be faint. Right? And young men shall fall exhausted. A clear inference we can draw from those two scriptures, right? A theme actually that spans the Bible is that God gives his grace or power. Or help to the humble. See, it is those who come to understand that I need help who acknowledge it. And because they acknowledge it rather than bend inwards, they turn to God for help. It is those who usually are in a position to receive help from God. Right. And so those are those themes you see there. He gives power to the faith. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. And then on the other hand, in verse 30, he talks about youth and strong men, that they will faint and fall and be exhausted. The idea is that youth there and young men represent uh, almost like the maximum threshold of our natural abilities and capacities. And what we are saying is no matter how great you are, no matter how good things might be, no matter how uh, talented and resourced you are, It's not enough. In this journey of life, it is never enough. So sorry to attack your self-esteem, but you are not enough. (laughs) I'm very sorry, but I'm saying that to say we can't simply help ourselves or rescue ourselves. In the day of adversity, as you all know, our strength fails. We falter. We are weak. And so our natural resources are never enough. But a different experience is available to us. That's why you see that but in verse 31. But they who wait on the Lord, they will hope in the Lord. That word wait on the Lord is actually better translated as hope. When we use hope today in the English language, we we tend to mean this sense of optimism. Right, but hope actually in scripture usually carries with it this sense of certainty. Let me maybe describe it this way. Assume you are in some kind of battle, right? And you're pressed on all the side, maybe you're part of an army that is pressed on all every side, and basically you know you're done. Right? But as you are in that battle, you hear this familiar horn, or maybe it's drums, and you know 
that's reinforcement, right? And you can hear their feet. You can hear the match. They are almost there. That's hope. You know help is coming, right? You might not see it. It's, they're not yet there, but you know they are coming. Like you can hear them. That's what hope means, right? That's the certainty dimension to hope. Uh, uh, the other things that the word hope encapsulates there is this waiting, right? Which sometimes is how it's translated. This waiting that indicates patience and this resting in God that indicates trust. So what I'm getting at here with that word is that they will hope in the Lord, right? They will reject depending on themselves and would rather depend on God. Those who are abandoned into his hands, they are the ones that are promised renewed strength. See, this is in contrast to the natural person. I talked about that sense of helplessness I have when I face issues where I naturally just think I have to deal with this. I mean, you're trained that way, you're built that way. Right? You're not just going to sit down and say, oh, well, this is going to go away. Right? But very often, sometimes in the kingdom of God, we have this inverse relationship with things where God actually calls you to trust in him. This doesn't mean you don't do anything. What I am trying to say is as we plan and strategize that we leave room for God. We consult God, so to say. So they will hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. I don't want to make it seem all glamorous. Again, that word hope has in there this sense of waiting. Right? So it doesn't mean you hope in the Lord and things get done. Just like that. There is a sense of waiting there. And, and you know, we live in an era of fast everything. We want to get everything quickly. It's just how we are today, right? Sometimes I'm even so impatient, like I'm trying to get the news. And I'm like, come on, load, load, load. What's up with my internet? Right? Like, load. Like, we, we, we're sort of like that, right? And we, we are bore hating. We don't like waiting. Because it reveals we are not in control. Right? It reveals I can't just get this done. Right? And in a bid not to wait, again, there is that temptation to chart a course and bless it as God ordained. That God spoke to me. And this is my purpose. And this is what God has called me to. And very often that is just something we come up with. And so again, in essence, we fashion idols after the desires of our heart. And this idols, when I was talking about idols earlier on, I wanted to say that usually the idols we fashion in our hearts are idols about identity. Identity is usually at the core of it. And so for me, it's usually what I'm doing or what I do, um, what I have or what I possess. So my idols are usually fashioned after that or what people are saying about me. Right. And those idols are tiring. The burden they create too much. Right, it's almost like a weight on your shoulder where you evaluate your worth and your value based on what you do, what you have or what you've amassed, and what people are saying about you. And very often, people that actually don't care about you. But the alternative is to take on the easy yoke of Christ. Right, this is why Jesus would say, "Come unto me, all you who are." 
heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And again, everything I've been saying is basically summed up by Jesus when he says, those who are well have no need of the physician, but those who are sick, again, the humble, when we can see that we are not enough in ourselves and we need God, we usually put ourselves in a place where we can receive from God. And I'll talk about some key things there. And so the foundation of our beliefs is always rooted in this Christ Jesus and him crucified. Right? Christ is always that linchpin. He is the one that has resolved us, so to say, with Christ, with God. Sorry, where we now have peace with God. Right? So it is always in the person and the sacrifice of Christ that we can begin to access God and have that peace that we can be the ones who wait on the Lord. Right, whose strength is renewed, who mount up with wings like eagles, who run and are not weary, who walk and not faint. What God offers you in exchange for your idols is this, that you are a beloved son or daughter of the Most High God. That that is your identity. That is your purpose, if you will. You are a beloved child of God. And that is only made possible by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And it's made possible. What I want you to see there is, if God the creator, the eternal, limitless, untiring God, who is so vast and transcendent, if he is so willing to sacrifice himself in the person of Christ for you, if he is so willing to give up Christ for you. Then be rest assured. He is for you. He will make everything right. If he is so willing to deliver up Jesus for our sins. And then raise him up for our justification. He is definitely for you. He will ensure that everything works together for good. That good again is your conformity to the image of Christ. So in conclusion, you might ask, how then do I become that person? How do I key into these things, right? Um, But before I get to that, I, I wanted to maybe paint a picture of what that reality might look like when we are the people or when we are becoming or in that process of becoming the types of people that wait on God, right? What might that look like? So sometimes, rather than that overwhelming panic that drives you away from God and community, you become the type of person that hunkers down in his word. You feed on his faithfulness and you draw strength from your community, the community of believers, right? Runa again gave that example with her home group, right? Rather than cry out that God has disregarded me, we learn to hold that pain and that issue in one hand. And we also learn to hold the faithfulness of God in another. Maybe we get to the point where we see that no matter what we say about God, at least he takes his own medicine. And I say that by looking at the person of Christ. Right? He didn't come here and everything was kosher for him. No. And you see very much from that journey of that last week 
right? Leading to his death. You see the ups and the downs. You see the pain in Gethsemane. You see the cry. Right? Hebrews 5, 7 to 9 says something to the effect of Jesus on the, on, in his days on this earth said, cried out to God. Right? He offered out loud cries and tears to the one who could save him. He offered out, he offered up, sorry, supplication. Supplication means you are begging to the one who could save his soul from death. And then the Bible says, and he was heard because of his reverence. Now, but watch this though. If he cried out to the one who could save his soul from death and he was heard, but he did die. He had to die for our sakes. And that's what I mean. That at the very least, God takes his own medicine. He shows us by example. Now trust in me, as much as things might be hard, as much as they might be difficult, I will make it right. Again, we can't, a lot of times we can't understand. I, I talked about the multiple trillions of complexities of causes and effects that God is weaving and the scale of God and how he is not in that one directional flow of time, but outside of it. But because of that, even when we don't understand his ways, we can trust in his love because he gave up Christ for us. And again, like I said, the transcendence of God does not mean he doesn't care. It actually means he is simply too powerful, too big to fail. To fail to not address your concerns. To fail to not deal with the issues you face. And so God asks that, God responds to that question by saying, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The application I have for us, the same application I usually have, is that you have to get into the word of God. There is no other way. You have to hunker down to his word and learn from him and feed on his faithfulness. This is how you are reminded of God's faithfulness. Again, it doesn't mean the problem goes away. Rather, he gives you a better framework to deal with disappointments and heartbreaks and sometimes the health concerns of your loved ones and sometimes maybe the passing of loved ones. And really thinking of our own mortality because one day, either through the slow decay of time or some event, we will all pass on. So the word of God helps you to deal with it, get into the word of God, right? Homework, and it's in that text, and I'll wrap up, it's in your hand that I'll wrap up. Pick a passage of scripture, right? Whatever you feel is speaking to you. Psalm 130, Psalm 131, Psalm 23, maybe this passage, James 4, 1 to 10, pick something that speaks to you, right? Try to memorize it. If you can't memorize it, it's fine. Just read it. The reason I'm talking about memorization is just so that you can work on it. If you can memorize it, that's fine. It pays if you can. It's okay. But the goal is to meditate on that scripture. Put yourself in it. Think about what it looks like. Try to understand what they might have been feeling. How does that connect to you? Sit there. You know, sit there. Think about it. Pray with it. Read commentaries. Do some studies on it. In our home group, we're using um, the Bible Project. I love that resource. Fantastic. 
has a ton of questions, some links to resources. Find resources, but hunker in the word of God. Right? There is no other way. Right? The repetition of taking in the word of God, right, is what helps you get the truth into you. Right? I used this before, I'm gonna use it again, Peter. It's right there, he looks at me. Like the repetition of his name over and over time, Peter has become so much a part of him that wherever he may be, even if he goes to Nigeria, right, and he hears Peter, I'm sure he's going to turn his head, right? And it's the same thing. We have to spend time with the Word of God. There is no other way. This is how we grow. This is like me saying, I want to be like Steve. But you know what? I don't want to actually wake up in the morning and plan my day and actually learn about the job he's doing. Like, no, I just want to be like him. Not going to happen. Same thing with God. Right? As much as we put time into everything else we do, and we know this, right? You don't really become good at anything without putting time into it. Right? But with God, it's different because it's actually God that walks it out in you. You just have to be present. You just have to be there. Right, so, like I said, pick a passage, meditate on it, do it for a month. See how it goes. I journal about it, pray about it, talk with friends, spouses about it, but be there. Right, see where God takes you from there. Right, don't worry about whether you memorize it or not, that's fine. Just have a way of always bringing it up before you. Right, pray with it, you know, write one if you like writing, write something, write whatever comes to your mind, wrestle with it. Right. And that that's my one takeaway, my one homework that I want you to go away with. Right. Pick a passage. Right. Whatever God might link to your heart. Pick a passage. Don't pick one verse. <laughs> I guess I should say that. I don't want you to pick one verse. I want you to pick a passage because it helps to put things in context. Right? It helps usually for you to meditate. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are truly the incomparable one that we can always rest in and trust in and we can wait on you and we can look to you and we can just fall and be abandoned into your hands. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you. Perhaps one of the things I should have said is that even though I speak about these things, I fail miserably at them. So God, help us. Help us to trust in you. Help us to turn away from the temptation of fashioning idols of our own hearts and actually look to you. Help us to see that you are truly the everlasting God, a God of eternity outside of time, that you are the creator of the ends of the earth, meaning your powers are limitless and that you do not go weary or tired, which shows your love for us and that your understanding is unfathomable, which should help us always trust in you, that even though we might not understand your ways, we can always trust in your love. Help us to wait on you, to trust in you, to be anchored in you, 
to feast upon you and so that we eventually over time through the process we become the ones that mount up with wings like eagles the ones who run and are not weary the ones who walk and are not faint and that we know that all of this is only possible through the sacrifice and the person of Christ Jesus in Jesus name amen